The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the behavioral corner. The podcast about everything is what I say. I'm Steve Martorano, your host and guide. The whole shoot match made possible by our great uh, underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. You'll hear uh, more about them specifically, a world-class mental health and substance abuse facility that have been our partners for many years now. They not only provide us financial support and utter editorial control, bless their hearts, but they also are a great reservoir of uh, people and experts in the field of both substance abuse uh, treatment and and mental health as well. And uh, Case in Point is another of their uh, employees, one of their uh, primary addiction therapists and uh, not a newcomer to the program. She's been with us before. Uh, Wanda Fink Barnett is with us. Uh, Wanda, thanks so much for your time. It's good to see you again. Hi. I've asked you the question I've asked a couple of others before, and I know this is incredibly vain, but why does everybody seem to be rosier and more tan than I am on camera? It drives drives me insane. Um, (laughs) Can I ask you a rude question? Sure. <laughs> okay. Your maiden name is Fink, and you use the hyphenated Fink Barnett as your as your name now. Uh, yeah, that is because um, I was looking for uh, some of my my biological father's family. Uh huh. Um, and so I I put Fink in there so that I could find them. And as soon as I did, um, I was amazed that I I found them. Oh, they just well, started coming. That's great. I, I, I hadn't considered that you would use that to find your uh, your roots, but it's interesting. Anyway, Wanda, as I said, I was with us many years ago, and uh, she, as I said, is a uh, primary addiction therapist at Retreat. We're going to talk about what, what that means. She's now been at it uh, over a decade, and we're going to find out how she winds up there. She did not begin as a, uh, a therapist, but uh, she began as a uh, substance abuse sufferer. So, uh, Wanda, take us through that. How did your uh, problems begin? It started with my my first problem was an eating disorder. Um, At the age of 12, I started. um, I discovered, you know, uh, anorexia, bulimia. Um, I was a chubby child, Mm -hmm. uh, to say the least. (laughs) Um, And um, I wanted to be able to fit in with everybody else. And uh, one of my friends had, had showed me this neat trick where you could lose weight. And um, and then by the time I was 13, I discovered these nifty little pills. You know, they were called Black Beauties and Christmas trees and all these other wonderful things. And they helped lose weight even more. Um, and and I was getting away with it fairly well because my, my father was, my parents were separated. They were, they were divorced at the time. And my mom was busy working the night shift. So I was in school during the day. She was at work at night. By the time she got home, I was in bed. So it worked out fairly well, you know, right. um, until she 
walked into the bathroom one day and I was coming out of the shower and she just about lost her mind. I didn't know what she was losing her mind about. Took me to a hospital. I weighed 82 pounds. She was reacting to your body. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I had spent from the time I was 13 till I was 15, 12 times in, in eating disorder clinics. By the time I was 14 and a half, I already knew what to say to get out, like what they wanted to hear. You know, I, I know what to do. And I would get out and within a matter of two weeks, I was right back to doing what I was doing before. Um, when I was 15, I got pregnant with my first child. So I automatically like stopped doing everything and I was good. So everybody thought everything was golden by this point. Um, and I had him and within four months after he was born, started again. You were 15, uh, you were 15 when you had the child. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I had another one a year later. <laughs> um, and, and as soon as I found out I was pregnant with her, I had stopped doing everything again. So in my mind, there was no addiction issue because I could put things down. You know? Right. Right. Um, and so it was just this ongoing thing where if you would have said to me, which people had said to me, you have a problem. Cause after that, then I had discovered, you know, cause I, I, after my first three children were born, I was modeling, I was doing a lot of things and modeling was my, my big ticket. I was making good money. Mm -hmm. And, um, but in the modeling world, you, you learn all about math and speed and all that other stuff. Um, exactly the sort of thing someone with your problem shouldn't have been involved in Absolutely. a, a, a hyper uh, uh, consciousness about uh, appearance and certainly weight. Absolutely. Um, but it took off for me. And, um, and then I, I, I had a very bad experience of, of sexual assault in there. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it I was hospitalized and it felt awful. Like I felt, broken from head to toe mm -hmm. and so then they prescribed pain pills because <laughs> there was there was uh, a lot of trauma mm -hmm. so what do you do with that <laughs> right you 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 discover all kinds of other things cocaine came into the mixture crack cocaine came into the mixture heroin came in it all came into the mixture right and so no matter how many times people said, you, you have a problem, no, I don't, I, I had stolen, like I had, at one point I got married, my husband, the poor man didn't know a thing because like for most heroin addicts, they, they fall asleep, they, you know, not me, I was scrubbing walls, doing this, doing that, you know, uh, crack cocaine, I think was the counterbalance in there for that. So he didn't have a clue until like money started disappearing in massive amounts, you know? Um, but he didn't say anything because I think he knew that like, no matter what he said, it wasn't going to do anything. Now, how old were you during this period of time? Um, at that point I was like 24. For you, considering the eating disorder, which begins at 12 or. Oh 10 yeah. Or 12, to yeah. 20, that's 10 years of really, on the road to uh, 
substance abuse problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So how did you get, how did you get to your first um, substance abuse treatment? I went one time for substance abuse. I was in and out for eating disorder, but I went to treatment one time for substance abuse. And, and did it, and did it work? As I say, was it the, was it the turning point for you? It it was. And that was because um, I had overdosed and I was on life support. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was in 1993, the end of 1993. And when I came to all my kids, at this point I had four children, and they were all on the other side of the ICU window. Mm-hmm. And there was a priest there, giving last rites. Mm-hmm. And I had said, oh my gosh, I'll never do that again. Never do it again. What do you think I did when I got out of that hospital? Mm-hmm. Got high. Absolutely. And I called my mother and I was like, you got to come and get me. I said, because this time I'm going to die for real. And then I hung up the phone. <laughs> like, I didn't even tell her where I was. How she found me to this day, like, oh, all, the way, okay. all the way to the day she died, I used to say to her, how did you ever find me? And she she was just, none of your business. None of your business. It's it's an, an amazing insight. Here's someone, you know, on death's door. And you were aware of that. And yeah. you reach out in desperation because you know you're going to die. And your mom responds. And then in perfectly in keeping with the confusion associated with substance abuse, you hang up without telling her where you are. Yeah. That's yeah. just a, that's just amazing. And she found her. Good. You know she, what? She she did find me. Amazing. And uh, she made all the arrangements. She took me to treatment. The, my mother was in and out of alcoholism uh, until like, I don't even know how long. And she had stopped drinking years before that. Um, and she had struggled with cocaine use for, for years as well. So I think she knew exactly where what I was feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, my father was an alcoholic. The same as, you know, many of his family. Right, was. right. So like it was just oozing everywhere in my family. Yeah, you just got you just got dealt a rough hand. Uh in terms of uh, in terms of uh, your background and your, I guess genetic, we know there's a component there about genetics, yeah. so it yeah. shouldn't shouldn't be very surprising. Uh, you say so you're only you're twelve times in and out of eating uh, sub, uh, eating disorder facilities, but only once in substance abuse. What type of treatment did you receive during that period? I was sixty six days inpatient, mm-hmm. and then um, what I thought I was going home didn't happen that way. My family said, you can't come home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, that's my house, too. <laughs> right. Until my my son, who at the time was 15, said, I don't want you to come home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when your kid looks at you and says, I don't want you to come home, that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and so I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going home. Where am I going? And uh, so they were like looking at all these other places. And, and I said to my mom, I said, you can send me to Alaska. I'll find an Eskimo to sell me dope if I want to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so they found this godforsaken Amish farm in the middle of a town called Gap. And uh, so that's where I went. I went there for the next 10 months. That was like a half uh, yeah, a transitional uh, living yeah, facility. Yeah, it took five women a year. And that's where I went. And uh I didn't know that's where I was going, mind you. Okay, I thought I was just going to a farm that took five women a year. I didn't know it was an Amish farm. 
till hmm. I got there. And I should have known something was up when my when my mom dropped me and, and left, right? <laughs> right. Right. You know? And people start showing up in buggies, right? Well, the first, you know, she came out, the woman came out and her name was Esther and she had on this this and I went, Oh, oh, you know. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, I got to call somebody to leave. Well, they don't have phones. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Right. Absolutely. You know, so, but the, the, the best part about all of that was, is that six months in, I was told, you know, by my family that I could come home and somewhere out of my mouth came, I'm not ready to do that just yet. Really? Huh? So, you know? And and as soon as I said it, I thought, why why did I just say that? I could go home. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Six 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 months in there, and you said what? Uh, you said sixty six days in uh, oh, inpatient. inpatient, inpatient. So you, you, that's a long haul, uh, and you're yeah. still not ready to come home. What yeah. uh, at what point did you go? Okay, I mean, some I guess some of it's fear. I go yeah. home and I can mess up again. Let me stay here. I'm safe. Uh, at what point did you? Uh, and how did you summon the courage to say, I'm ready to go home? I was there for t almost 10 months. So I was gone almost a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I felt like it's either now, you know, like I can't stay here forever in a bubble. Right. During that you period know, of time, Wanda, during that period of time, uh, were you able to see your children? Or mm -hmm. They would visit. Yeah. 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 And, okay. And I did have weekend visits. I think my biggest fear was is because of where I lived. I lived in the city of Reading, PA, and where I lived was not a good area. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so that was my biggest fear, I believe, you know. Um, so I just kind of like would I'd go for the weekend visit. I realized like in the beginning it was real fearful for me because um, there were drugs everywhere. And then um, – my husband, God, God love him. He he was like, "Don't worry, I'm working on getting us out of here." And he really did. He he had gotten us out. Of, I was only when I got home. We were only there for about three months before he had moved us completely out of the city. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so, I but but no matter where you are, you're going to find it. Yep. Like I said early in, in the stage, like I could have gone to Alaska and found it if I wanted to. You know what I mean? Sure. So no matter where you're at, it's there. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's what we do. And I was really strong in NA. Like that, that I think was my saving grace is because I was there every single day. After you left the Amish. Uh, even there, up. even there, I was gone every day. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. people who don't know, uh, NA is the uh, substance yeah. abuse modeled on the twelve-step program. Yeah, Narcotics yeah. Anonymous. Yeah. You you have no doubt in your mind that the twelve steps were the difference for you. Was that was yes. that it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've done yeah. several. We've done several programs on the, uh, the on the twelve steps from from an outsider perspective. There's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about all of that. Um, but it is a miracle. I always tell people when they ask if AA and that stuff really works. And my answer is simple. Yeah. It works for people that it works for. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, you, do you still, do you still refer back to the 12 steps even yeah. to today? Yeah. 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 Were you a religious person at this point in time? No, not when I started. No. <laughs> yeah. 
how did you overcome what many people tell me is the problem with the greater the higher power greater power or god how, how did you how did you move past that that actually i think it came with first finding some kind of inner peace for myself and and that came with just i would take time to just sit by myself and breathe is it safe to say that it's possible you sound like you're saying it it's possible to you don't have to confront this notion that maybe this is about god you can right. move you can move beyond that and start to work on yourself without either denying the existence of god or embracing the notion of god absolutely yeah that's yeah. my belief system i i agree with you because you could put any other fancy uh, any other uh, euphemism in there for god your greater power and everything it still stops some people in their tracks yeah. and it's instructive to point out in situations like yours and many others that you can move past that and still get great value uh out of the 12 steps so okay it's um, it's remarkable given how uh difficult a path you were on the number of uh, substances you were addicted to the near death experiences that one trip extended though it may have been into a rehab facility and then the care of these Amish people, uh, you still managed to do something. Some people take a very long time to get to where you got in about, a, in about a year. What happens to you now? Okay. You're, you're in early uh, recovery and you gotta, you gotta look at the rest of your life. When does it occur to you that there's uh, a career for you in helping others? Um, I think it was more, uh, I, I had the best sponsor. She like literally, she only passed away. So I, I utilized the temporary sponsor while I was away and then I got home and, and I looked around and I looked around and I found my sponsor and she was my sponsor for 26 years and she was a blessing. She just passed away not too long ago. Um, but she was a blessing and, um, she there you you could throw anything at this woman and she would just smile mm -hmm. you know and um so for her like she used to say to me you could do anything you want to do she said but let me just tell you you're really good with people and uh so like when i first started school when i first started college i had no idea what i was going to do i used to say i had no idea what i want to be when i grow up right yeah <laughs> There yeah. I am, a full-blown adult, you know what I mean? I have no idea what I want to do when I grow up. So I started taking the core classes in college. And uh, I thought, I'm going to be, this is great. I won't be a probation officer. That's what I'm going to be. Wait. So I, <laughs> I started in criminal justice. Uh -huh. And uh, so just as I was about to, to finish, um, I, I had gotten hired. Uh, at, at this one place where I was just like a, a tech at a, a halfway house, you know, where people are coming out of prison. Mm -hmm. And um, tough job. It was real tough. It was in heart of the city, third shift. And then um, I got hired at a, at a wonderful place. It was a program for, it was an alternative to prison program so that if people messed up on probation, they had an option to either go to this program or they could max out it on their jail sentence. So this is where I went. So while I'm working there, um, the the director says to me, 
you're in the wrong field. And I said, excuse me? He said, you're in the wrong field. He said, you really, really, really need to be a therapist. He said, you're wonderful. He said, you need to go talk to your academic advisor tomorrow. <laughs> and really? I, looked, I looked up to him. I thought he was wonderful. And so I did. I went and talked to my academic advisor and told her I wanted to switch my major. I wanted to go into clinical psychology. And, and uh, it just went from there. And the minute I did that, um, the program I was working for was all men at the time, but they had a whole unit that was closed off and they were, they were doing nothing with it. And um, I said to him, we, we should do something with this. And uh, he said to me, he said, well, what do, you, what do you think we should do? And I said, there's there's no programs for women who violate their probation. And uh, he said to me, well, I'll tell you what, you go come up with a curriculum and a program and bring it back. So I spent three months doing this and I brought it back and three weeks later they approved it and they opened up a program for women. Fantastic. Yeah. And the whole and then and then you're slowly moving through your educational process yep. to become accredited as a uh, as a uh, a therapist. Yep. And then yeah. uh, ten years ago you uh you wound up at retreat behavioral health. I did, yeah. I was I was the supervisor for, in mental health right before I came here, and uh, I was working really long hours. And I, even on vacations, I was taking my laptop with me, another cell phone with me, a pager with me. And uh, I know somebody who worked here, and um, they texted me and they said, you know, hey, you should check this place out. So I came up here, and um, I was working as a clinical specialist on weekends. And my family was like, you come home from that place up there and you're so happy. And then you go back to your other job and you're kind of miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so then they had a full time opening here. So I talked, to, I talked to my family and they were like. Go for it. The rest is history. I've been here ever since. And I love every day that I'm here. Yeah. Eleven years. Well, you're working with great people because they care yeah. about what the, what they're doing. So it was clear, not you know, from hearing your story. And certainly, but from the people you you came in contact with, while you made your way to your current position, that they recognized that you were, if not drawn to people in crisis, on some level it seems like you were. Yeah, you were you were uniquely situated to be able to uh, get there at a critical time. What sort of people do you see now? I mean, do you see? Uh, well, you're still seeing only women in, in your... Uh... No, uh-uh. I work with um, women, men, uh, trauma, vets. Um, I work with a pretty diverse population right now. In uh, And so for people who might not know how this works, uh, on the uh, these are inpatient uh, mm -hmm. yes. clients for you. Uh, are these group sessions that you conduct? Are they one-on-one -on -one sessions? What's no. going on? Both. Yeah. Yes. What's the what's the benefit of a group therapeutic session as opposed to one on one? I think the the um, the benefit of that is is that they learn how to trust each other. They also learn how to build a support. You know, because most of the time they come in here, they don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. So you have that small group setting mm -hmm. every morning. We have it for two hours. And so they're building that rapport with one another 
and they learn to, to accept feedback, give feedback, reach out if they need it, you know, and what they're doing is, is, and it's great to see because I get to watch them grow every day, you know, and, and so as I'm watching them come in here, isolated and alone, every day I watch them grow a little bit more to where they're actually joking with each other. And then they're serious with each other too at times. And they're also sharing their most vulnerable moments with each other. Yeah. That process is, uh, is uh, uh, amazing to watch. So many people in, in that situation I've done, if you can imagine, hundreds of interviews now. There's a common theme that runs through these things. First and think and foremost is that people are surprised that there are others who know what they're going through. Why is it surprising? I mean, when you were getting high, you were getting high with other people who were getting high. You knew yeah. people, and you knew people that were perhaps as messed up on drugs and alcohol as you were. And yet, there's an isolation that yeah. stops you. That stops you from believing others are doing this. So now you're in a group session where you see, oh, I'm not. I'm not the only one with this problem. Right. I know. I, and it just baffles you to think like, you know, when you're out there doing what you're doing and you're like, there's nobody else that has this problem. But, you know, there are because you sat with them while you were doing what you were doing. Yeah. 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 It, it, uh, substance abuse works on so many insidious levels. And that, you know, you mentioned it tells you you're not sick, constantly yeah. tells you you're not sick. Uh, and it also tells you you're the only person that understands what's going on. The rest mm -hmm. of these people are crazy. Did you did you see? I've heard therapists tell me this before, that they begin to see in their clients and their patients the uh, shift, the, the transfer from being thought of as just a, a list of their symptoms. You're an addict. You do this. You do this. To becoming people with a problem. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like when when you see somebody or when it happened to you where you go. Oh, I, I'm sick. I've got, I'm not, I'm not just a substance abuser. I'm a person. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. So I, and I, sometimes I have to say, like, I have to kind of direct them to that because they'll come in, you know, I, I know like for me, I, I to me, I was just a junkie, mm -hmm. you know, and I watch people come in with that same mindset. And so, like, I have to, you know, I have to say, you know, that we're allowing that to define us as a human being. And it's really not that, you know, it, it's part of, like, what's wrong with us, but it's not who we are. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when you actually see them actually accept that, you can see a whole difference. Because what happens now is now they bounce into your office and they're like, they're ready. They're ready to take yeah, it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you define yourself by your worst traits, then there's not much incentive to do anything better. But if you Absolutely. define yourself by being a whole human being, you just have to work through the problems. Does that process hold true for people uh, who have uh, mental health disorders without substance abuse issues? Is that the same phenomenon? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's very important to uh, to acknowledge that. You know, and uh, finally, uh, with regard to your career, uh, you post pretty actively to Facebook. I've read your stuff uh, recently. It's terrific stuff. Yeah, I mean, you do your garden variety Facebook yeah. post, but a lot of it has to do with what you do. You have a very long post here that I guess is a couple of days old now 
where you did something I haven't seen a therapist do uh, very frequently, uh, where you talk about or you, you post about the difficulties associated with the people in your life having to deal with you now as a therapist, a healer. Talk a little bit about how families can deal, because both things are very similar, right? They had difficulty dealing with you when you're using, and now you're helping people, but there are also difficulties. Yeah, sometimes they, you know, and and I post that because, you know, sometimes I think they forget, like, you know, you come home and you're tired. And it's not that you're, you know, um, sometimes we're hard to deal with, and I get that, you know. But I think sometimes they forget that, you know, okay, so we didn't do the dishes tonight or we didn't do this. But it's because, you know, we don't work just like I know our hours might seem like they're they're 8 to 430. But the reality is, is they're not. It's it's like a 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, because and, and I can't speak for everybody, but I speak for myself and I know a lot of my colleagues as well um, here on the hill, yep. <laughs> you know. When we leave here, we're not leaving everybody behind, you know, we're like, you know, because we know that there's a lot of people that are struggling and then we're like, well, okay, did that happen? Are they okay? Is this going on? Yeah. You know, was this taken care of? And so like we take that with. I noticed in another one of your posts, you remind people that you would rather hear from them if they're in, in crisis at four o'clock in the morning. So don't worry about what time it is, which is very interesting. Just this last point on your job, your career, your work, and and uh, how you sustain. You worry about burnout. I mean, you are carrying a lot of stuff uh, that other people need to present to you. It's not great. A lot of it's uh, troubling. What do you, how do you keep from burning out on all that? So I, First of all, I have the most wonderful daughter on the planet. <laughs> I have some great grandchildren. My, my grandchildren are amazing. And I spend time with them every single day. Every single day. Um, and they're like the light of my life. <laughs> um, so I always find time to spend with them and they keep me grounded. Um, I have a best friend of, we've been friends for four, oh Lord. 46 years we've been friends for 46 years and um so like we get together twice a week faithfully no matter what you know um and and like i practice mindfulness i i i practice meditation mm -hmm. um and i try to eat as healthy as possible you know um but i also i i and I, the old saying is, is every therapist has a therapist. So there are people you can talk to as well. Absolutely. Um, and so what's your, what's your sobriety anniversary date? When is that? January 10th. And it, January 10th. It's my birthday. Yes. Congratulations. Hey. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and how long will it be altogether now this January? Yes. Pardon me? 30 years. 30 years sober. Remarkable. It's a remark. It's you got to remind people. Everybody knows the horrors of these uh, these uh, conditions, um, and they are horrible. Yeah. Um, but millions of people uh, get sober. Millions. Yes. Can we finally uh, do this because it's uh, we as we, we approach the holiday season? Nothing sends sets my teeth on edge quicker 
than the commercial that has that song in it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Makes me crazy. Because as we know, it may be the most wonderful time of the year, but it's also fraught with all kinds of uh, stresses. Uh, in normal circumstances, it's tough getting together, yeah. buying gifts, all that pressure and all that stuff. We we talk about this every year at this time of the year, home for the holidays for people in early recovery or people or even in active use. Can you give us a couple of uh, coping skills to get through Thanksgiving and the holidays? So, you know, early recovery, first of all, you know, I don't think that everybody needs to have alcohol at a holiday dinner, but it's just me. Um, you know, go slow. Don't, you don't listen. You don't have to stay there for seven hours, you know, go have your dinner, give everybody their hugs, make your exit, go home and watch a movie, cuddle up on the couch. <laughs> you know, you, you hit the one that always comes up and that is get, get ready to go. Have a good time. Have an escape plan. Yes. Yes. Have an I, escape plan. Have an escape plan. Yeah. You I, know? I can appreciate that. Um, it's just great. It's just great advice to get through. This is a difficult time of the year. Uh, Wanda Fink uh, Barnett, our guest, she's primary addiction therapist at Retreat Behavioral Health. Uh, her road was not an easy one. Uh, she's now 30 years sober, as you just heard, on January 10th. And we congratulate her. Thanks for your time, Wanda. It's been, it's been a while since we spoke. So it's uh, good to reconnect. Thank you, Steve. Take care. And you all as well. We'll see you next time on The Corner. Don't forget to uh, like us, subscribe to us. You'll find us wherever you find podcasts lying around. And we hope you like what you hear. The Behavioral Corner. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the Behavioral Corner. <laughs>